Ah, uh, yes, friends. OGT, the one giant podcast on a Tuesday, where I'm your host, Adam Arbeck, Sons, Andy Makowitz. As we said, coming in, we're going to update some things around the New York football Giants coaching staff. Going to take a look at the upcoming draft and see what QB needy teams might be willing to move up the board to one of these two top 10 picks that the Giants hold. And then also look at the roster and highlight what uh, has been a longstanding opinion of yours truly around a specific high talented player that probably needs to be moved off of. So uh, the first thing that we'll talk about just from a coaching standpoint we know the Giants continued the search for the defensive coordinator after the departure of one Patrick Graham. Andy mentioned yesterday that out there in Las Vegas, in addition to Patrick Graham, it looks like uh, Joe Judge could be reuniting with Josh McDaniels as the special teams coordinator there and maybe assistant head coach as well, a role that he had obviously previously held. So a quick bounce back for Joe Judge after being dismissed from the New York football Giants. But in addition to that, the Giants look to be hiring Texans tight end coach Andy Bischoff. And just to give you some context on who he is, comes all actually from the Texans uh, roster or coaching staff, I should say, this past season. But when you go deeper into it, because the list of guys like Aikens and Eau there in uh, Houston, maybe not be the most flashiest names there. But Bischoff also worked with the Baltimore Ravens as the assistant tight ends coach. He was there for six years coaching, obviously, Mark Andrews, but then also one of the top blocking tight ends in the league in Nick Boyle. And I think, again, if you take this step back from the Giants' perspective, if you're Joe Shane coming into this, and then obviously Brian Dable as well, but you look at this team, and I, I think one of the things you start to assess is, what were the biggest issues that this team was having over the last couple of years, and how does that mesh with what automatically our goals are going to be, right? Building up the offensive line, finding key positional players. But if you're if you're this new regime, you look at this roster and go, well, you had a, on paper, very talented tight end in Evan Ingram that could not perform to expectations on a year-in, year-out basis. And then you also lacked, though, either one of two things, a Mark Andrews in, in the case of looking at the Baltimore Ravens, but someone who can do either both things at an elite level, or at least show you competency in both phases of the game. And I think that's what the expectations are for the New York football giants to start to get a little bit of balance here, start to get even keel. We don't need someone like an Evan Ingram, right? We don't need to have a Travis Kelsey, although you could argue that he does everything really well in his game too, but we, you know, we don't need to have the premier all pro 100 catch tight end dominant force. We'll take him if we can get him. But I think what you want to see is someone that you can rely on with consistency. And you go back to previous iterations of the Giants when, you know, we, everyone always mentions Kevin Boss. God, you know, got a few good years out of him, did everything pretty well, was not this elite athlete, and yet made some big plays in big spots. So I think that's what the Giants want to build towards here. In addition uh, to Bishop, he was also previously an offensive assistant and tight ends coach going back through his uh, coaching tree here was the tight end coach and staff coordinator for the Chicago Bears there with Martellus Bennett, a one time brief stop with the New York football giants. Uh, and he also was a special teams coordinator, running backs coach for the Montreal team in the CFL. So long, long standing history here, but you're highlighting a number of different tight ends and basically saying, hey, this is someone who had success maximizing what the value was at the position. I think it makes a lot of sense to bring in someone along those lines. So that's the footnote there uh, regarding the coaching staff. When we turn our attention then 
over to this current roster. We had said when initially it was thought that Patrick Graham was going to be retained as the defensive coordinator. This is the way you push the pause button on rebuilding, reevaluating, and reassessing what's going on on the defensive side. Focus on the offensive side this year and then roll yourself over into next year, the draft free agency, and we have more cap room to figure out adjustments you want to make over there. Now that Graham has moved on to Las Vegas, it does create this new speculation around what the Giants will do. And guys like James Bradbury, who has a big cap hit number, uh, obviously, in the upcoming season, even a Leonard Williams, free agent guys like low level, like Lorenzo Carter, but Dexter Lawrence, right? Draft pick of the previous regime, high draft pick, probably has high value around the league. Adoree Jackson, there's Logan Ryan, everybody, right? Jabril Peppers, all of these names all of a sudden had to be looked at now through a different lens, depending on who gets hired, the system that they want to run, and then ultimately in conjunction with how the Giants and Joe Shane go about freeing up some cap room on this team. And in that regard, on the offensive side, where they need to get some things corrected here, it, it really does feel like you saw some ESPN reports come out. Everybody's hopping onto this bandwagon of, is it time for the Giants to move off of Saquon Barkley? If you follow the podcast, you can go all the way back to this past offseason, if not maybe even a little bit further, when I, I had said to Andy with consistency, Saquon Barkley needs to be moved off of. You need to move the money. You need to not put yourself in a spot where are we going to bring him back on a new contract? Now, I think the automatic thing that changed here was once you move on from Gettleman and you move on even to a new coaching staff, but specifically the Gettleman piece because he obviously drafted Barkley second overall in the 2018 draft. Joe Shane has no ties to this. So the concern around what if the Giants kept Saquon Barkley through this year? Well, the worst case quote unquote scenario is he plays it out. Those signs a big deal somewhere else. Maybe you get a compensatory pick, whatever the case may be. Done deal, you move on. If it had still been Dave Gettleman in control here, you would have heard all the rumors and speculation, and I wouldn't have been shocked if the Giants ended up signing him to an extension or a new contract because the GM and his fate would be tied to one of these key players on the roster. Same thing gets said about Daniel Jones, right? Now, this new regime seems to be indicating we want to give Daniel Jones every opportunity to have success, but at the end of this year, we're no more obligated to him than we are to Saquon Barkley or any other player that was brought in by the previous regime. So that being the case, we know it represents 7.2 million of cap space if the Giants were able to move off of Saquon Barkley and freeing that money up is no small feat. They made another little, uh, another small move here, uh, bringing in the uh, former punter. I'll put it in the show notes from the Cleveland Browns. He had some ups and downs, but that's an indication that the Giants want to move off of one Riley Dixon for the simple fact that one, it was average punting play that he gave this past year. And then he also represents north of $2 million in cap space. So even when you look at these two things, we're going to move off this punter. We're going to move on from Saquon Barkley. You're going to free up close to $10 million in cap room. And by all accounts, Joe Shane wants to clear $40 million in cap over the course of this off season. So the Giants can afford to make moves in free agency in and around the draft, after the draft, when cuts happen around the league. And then again, just reset the barometer here for where this team is and the options that they have in the short term, knowing that a year from now, certainly more cap room is going to become available to them. I just, the other, the other part of these reports is that obviously teams around the league still look at Saquon Barkley's skill set and view it as an electric talent that could really take a conference contending team 
to a Super Bowl contending team, a division winning team to a potential deeper run playoff opportunity. Right. And there's a lot of places that you can look around the league here and say that that could be a great landing spot for him. I'd mentioned, I don't know if on the podcast, but a place like Kansas City, who's drafted different players and had some dynamic one, two punches at times, Hilaire up and down inconsistent Williams, you know, some injuries for that for that roster, even though Saquon Barkley is certainly not a, uh, a zero health risk. But imagine putting a dynamic playmaker like that on the Kansas City Chiefs for a one-year run at $7.2 million C if he can help you win a championship with Patrick Mahomes. If the Denver Broncos end up landing Aaron Rodgers, maybe bringing in a Saquon Barkley and putting the most dynamic running back tandem alongside of him that he would have seen in recent memories, right? There, there's Tampa Bay originally was one that I think you looked at as well. A little bit different now that Tom Brady has retired. So you don't feel like, Hey, let's keep this window open for one more year with him. But there's going to be a lot of teams that are in this contending window. And, and Andy had even, I think thrown out the Buffalo bills. Maybe I, I tend to look at, I look at rosters where you go, where's a team that has indoor, it just feels like, like I don't look at Saquon Barkley as being this outdoor cold weather power running back. There's no reason why you would. That's what he shies away from. But someone that gets out in space really leans into the passing game aspect of your offense. I think that that could be really valuable. And the one other one that I had thought about that maybe seems a little bit odd is the Tennessee Titans because they have Derrick Henry. And he is this dynamic workhorse power drag you for 30 yards running back. And if you want to lean into that aspect of that team, you, you still have Julio Jones. You obviously have a Brown there as well. The receiving core feels good. Imagine having, uh, you know, adding an explosive pass catching, you know, dynamic duo running back there. Maybe just leans into this run heavy kind of system where all that you want Ryan Tannehill to do is be solid, right? Be sound, make the right passes and throws on time and help lead this team to a deeper playoff run than they had uh, this past postseason. So uh, there's no shortage of teams that would be interested in him. The question around what you get back for him, again, to a certain extent, this is not, and I'll be curious if Andy would agree with this, this isn't a scenario where somebody says, uh, you know, I'll give you a, a fourth and a fifth. Let's just say. You can't just scoff at that and say, oh, no, no, no. He's too valuable to be giving that up. Andy and I had the discussion slash debate around Evan Ingram. I said for the last two years, if not more, if you can get a fifth rounder for him, you take it. If you can get a sixth rounder for it, you take it. It doesn't matter because the guy is not going to get brought back on another contract. So get whatever value you can for him. Now, there's a balancing act of needing to have competitive players on the roster, right? Having weapons for Daniel Jones, et cetera. But at a certain point, you cannot put yourself in the spot you're in with Evan Ingram where he's walking away to free agency. You're not bringing him back and you're not going to get anything for him, right? Um, and I think, obviously, that's a lower-level version of what you have in Saquon Barkley because for all of his injuries, rookie season, incredibly dynamic, he's a higher-profile talent, obviously, than Evan Ingram at their respective positions. But now you're in this spot. You have to take whatever value you can get. And I'm not saying that a fourth and a fifth round is what it's going to be. Third rounder, Right maybe a late third rounder, depending on, on what the team is and how they view him fitting in. Um, maybe you can swap some picks if you want to get a second round pick from someone and send back a third or a fourth to help yourself move up the board in the short term. Maybe you spread out a couple of picks over the next couple of years so you continue to replenish that stockpile of assets that you're going to have going forward. But as I said, it, it's listen, you don't get any credit for being right about something. 
regardless of when it occurred. But I, I've been beating this drum for a long time, and it just feels like now more than ever is the opportunity when the New York football giants need to be pulling the trigger on it. That being the case, the other piece that I want to get to here was we mentioned about coming out of the senior bowl week, Malik Willis, maybe starting to elevate his profile even a little bit more right now. And we started to examine the giants are picking at five and seven. There's a couple of pieces here. One uh, on the reevaluation bleacher report put out their updated uh, rankings for players coming out of the senior bowl week and how things maybe have shifted. And it's just, it's worth noting. This has kind of been confirmed here over the last say, week and a half or so. It doesn't feel dissimilar to when Andrew Thomas was coming out, started as the clear number one, and then slowly slid into maybe his proper spot. If you uh, examined him from a NFL immediate ready versus where we've seen him develop and now feels like he's going to be solid for the New York football giants. Uh, but now you have Aquanu who's up there in the second spot as an offensive lineman. Evan Neal behind him in the third spot as an offensive tackle. But as you work your way through this, one of the most interesting ones is probably Linderbaum has risen up to the eighth spot. I think that's closer from the teens. Now it seems like he's a top 10 consensus, at least by Bleacher Report standards. But then Adrian Hutchinson is now down at 12th overall. And that starts to shuffle this deck a little bit when you look at the top of the draft, needs versus value, and where some of these guys are going to go. You also have a number of wide receivers in and around this mix. Um, and then probably the biggest one from a New York football giant standpoint, I think the, the wrinkle piece of this would be looking at cornerbacks like Derek uh, Derek Singley Jr. out of uh, LSU. He's seventh right now on their board. But up at fifth is Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety. And I we always talk about this. There's plenty of examples of drafting a safety too high, being locked into a big contract, and then having to worry about that second contract. And just it's a bad position to put that much capital into. But as we previously stated, if the Giants end up moving off of a James Bradbury this offseason, well, suddenly you open it up to some of these cornerbacks, uh, Ahmad Gardner out of Cincinnati, 13th on the big board now. And then as you get back into the late teens towards those 20s, a number of guys like Elam out of Florida, another Riddler, uh, sorry, it's QB, excuse me, Desmond Riddler, who I've mentioned before. He's now risen up to 17th overall on the big board on Bleacher Report. Something to think about when we're talking about uh, these quarterbacks and where some of them could go. Uh, but Elam out of Florida, as I said, out of Washington, McDuffie, and then Nicobe Dean, the linebacker out of Georgia in that 17, 18, 19, 20 range. The reason why I bring it up is because if you're thinking about being at five and seven, we know the, the positions that people are moving up for are going to be quarterbacks. So if we think that some of these quarterbacks are elevating their profile over the course of this senior bowl week, who is the most likely candidate? to be willing to make a move to come up and make a trade with the New York football giants. And how far back would the giants be willing to trade? We know just going back to last year, right? Big jump back there. You end up with Kadarius, Tony. He, by the way, is a low level speculation of a player that the giants might look to move off of this offseason, depending on how Joe Shane evaluates him, depending on how Dable evaluates him, extremely high talent, worry about the injury concerns. And then again, not your guy, right? The, the price tag is low on him. But what would you be able to accomplish if somebody says, oh, I'll still give you a first round pick in this year's draft for that talent? Because in a very small sample size, we saw how electric he can be. But specifically on the quarterback side of it, when I looked over at the overall big board right now, right? 
you start to think about the top end there, and we kind of tapped into this a little bit. For example, we know Carolina, they're probably in a spot to take a quarterback here. Uh, Atlanta might be, depending on how they feel about one of them. I thought Denver, if they're not getting Aaron Rodgers, if we we all assume that's what's happening uh, with the hiring of their head coach, but say they don't, they, they could be in the market for one of these quarterbacks. You're not going to see a lot of them. Washington might fall into this category. Don't see the Giants necessarily making a trade with them. Uh, Minnesota, certainly Cleveland, right? There's some of these teams that all have some level of potential interest, especially because in a lot of these cases, like Minnesota, uh, like Carolina, going to have a new staff in place, right? New ideas in place and a new system that they want to fit their quarterback into. But I ended up going down to 20. And you could throw in the New Orleans Saints as well, but because of their cap situation and the general state of their roster, I think that they are in closer to a rebuild process here, at least for this season, as opposed to being a win-now mode, we can be competitive. But I get to 20, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, you know, there's been rumors around what's going to happen in Las Vegas. Could Derek Carr be available? What's going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? There's a lot of veteran quarterbacks that could be out there. And you could feel really good about plugging them in to the Pittsburgh Steelers system and saying, we'll, we'll dial it back up. Now, if it's Derek Carr, I get it. And I think that there's a real opportunity there for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers to get right back into a, let's say, competitive, you know, competitive mindset going forward. But when you look over on the both sides of the ball here for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and this is really how I encapsulated it. When you look over at the, at the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were 20th. This is defensively first 20th in points allowed first in sacks 13th in in, uh, interceptions, excuse me, and 14th in turnovers right now passing yards. They were very stingy ninth in the league 24th overall in yards because they were dead last in rushing yards surrendered, right? So that that's a concern, obviously. You're imbalanced on the defensive side of the ball. But do we think that they're not capable of tapping into free agency, where, by the way, they're going to have north of $31 million available to them, and bringing in a couple of key pieces on the defensive side of the ball to balance them out in that running game and get themselves back on an even footing? I think it's very reasonable to say that the Pittsburgh Steelers are a team capable of pushing themselves right back up into a, oh, let's even just, no, let's not go crazy, right? Get them up to the 20th, 22nd against the run. Now, all of a sudden, the overall team ranking looks a lot different. The yardage looks a lot different. And you become, again, as they've always been, right, a competitive, aggressive defense that has a lot of talent up front there as well. On the offensive side, they were 21st in points. In spite of Ben Roethlisberger being on his last legs, in spite of them having a bad offensive line in front of him and taking away the incredible value of Najee Harris, who had to battle his way, claw his way for every single yard that he got this past season. But they were still 15th in passing yards and again, 29th in rushing yards. And we always say that rushing yard number, you're going to look at the offensive line play and opening up those holes. But they were 15th in passing yards with Ben Roethlisberger. You're going to tell me, that, again, maybe it's one of these veteran quarterbacks, but if you don't think that getting a Derek Carr or a Jimmy Garoppolo is reinserting yourself into deep playoff AFC conference championship opportunity in the short term, then going after one of these young quarterbacks, if you believe in them, could be a way that you say, we get right back in the playoffs again this upcoming season, and within two years, we're going back on deep playoff runs. Let's just say it's Malik Willis, right? If you come up with the New York football giants to five or to seven, potentially depending on how things shake out there at the top. 
you could be putting in a dynamic. What, what, what was Ben Roethlisberger not? Mobile. So you can spend thir- with $30 million in free agency north of it, and who knows what moves they'll make here around the roster. You can go out and get yourself a couple of offensive linemen if you need to. You can utilize some of your draft capital, depending on what it would cost to get up the board here. You can solidify and at least start to move in the right direction on the offensive line in front, in front of your quarterback. And if you're going to insert someone like Malik Willis, who's an electric dynamic with his legs on the move quarterback, I, I, you could rebalance this offense in the blink of an eye. And if that's the case, you go by a few different metrics here around what's the you know QB value chart. Certainly, you're going to be talking about, okay, you're going to be giving the 20th pick to the New York football giants. Maybe it's going to be uh, the 50. They sit there at 52nd, I believe, in the second round. They also have the 84th in the third round. We'll cut it off there just because you're not getting back into the weeds on it. But then you go into next year's draft as well. If you're the Giants and you say, well, whether it's Aquanu or it's Neil, we're going to take one of these tackles at the top of the draft here. And then we look back and we see a lot of different opportunities. We're going to try to acquire some more draft capital by moving off of some players, as we talked about. Now, if I can back up, get the 20th pick, get a first round pick next year. So if I like quarterback class that's coming out, I have the ability to move up the board to go target them, regardless of how successful or what our record looks like this year. And then maybe I can get a second round pick and a third round pick this season. Who knows? So whatever that chart ends up looking like, now you can do a number of different things. You can be there at 20. And you can also look at your assets and say, I'll take a look at the board ahead of me. Maybe I want to get up to 15. Maybe I want to get up to 13. Maybe Linderbaum falls to the teens there. And you go, oh, yeah, I'll give you 20 and a third round pick just to jump up here and grab the center that we like. I'll still have my second round pick, still have multiple threes, multiple fours, et cetera, to continue to build out this roster. I just, I'll be very curious to see how this offseason unfolds and some of the traction that we get around a lot of these quarterbacks. Because as we know, and Andy mentioned this last episode, right? If you think there's a guy there, if you feel like you need the quarterback, every franchise, packages it up, give it all up to go get him. I think it can sometimes be a mistake because you can convince yourself that somebody is the guy when he's maybe not necessarily a franchise quality quarterback. And then you end up mortgaging your future. And three and a half, four years later, you're saying, all right, how do we reset ourselves here? How do we move off this money? How do we get ourselves back in the pool? And the Giants who didn't move up, but at six took Daniel Jones. That's the spot that they're in now saying we missed. We missed, and now we need to reevaluate everything that we're doing here underneath Joe Shane and Brian Dable. The last thing that I'll mention here is over on the Bleacher Report Reset Big Board. I'm just doing the quick check here because the first quarterback that is listed on their board is Desmond Riddler at 17 overall out of Cincinnati. And as I do the quick scan, it's funny because I think I actually went really far down this board in order to get myself to Kenny Pickett, who's 44th overall on their big board. And they have their their rating systems. And maybe we'll break this down a little bit more as the week goes on 7.7 for Kenny Pickett in terms of their rating board. The 17th spot for Riddler is an 8.4, but I just want to scroll down here and I think I'm doing it right to get to the spot where you end up hitting Malik Willis, because for all of his dynamic abilities and the excitement of what he could be, I think I said it last time where I compare him to a Matt Coral at 74 overall on this big board here. Continue scrolling down the list. There he is, Malik Willis, 91 with a 7.1 rating. So that's your fourth quarterback listed here on the updated board. 
So as dynamic as he maybe is looked and some of the things that excite you about him, at least by, by one metric, he's listed as the fourth best available quarterback. And what I always come back to couch it in is when you see these dynamic players, when you see the Patrick Mahomes of the world, when you see the Josh Allens, when you see Lamar Jackson, everything has to be couched in. What is the natural skill set, the baseline skill set that these guys are coming in with? And how are you going to one build a system around them to accentuate what they do well, but also how far do you think you can bring the floor up on what they don't do well? How much can you improve their accuracy? How much can you improve their decision-making? How much can you utilize their legs without risking injury, right? This is one of the things that I think the Giants regime has done a terrible job with Daniel Jones. They brought him in and basically said, well, a guy can run a little bit. He can throw. Okay, let's uh, try and do, let's try and do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And when you go back and watch his tape, when they have him rolling out of the pocket and throwing on the run, that's not something that he does very well. Now, can you get better at that? Sure. But can you just force feed him that and assume that he'll just get there? No. And then it's bad throws. It's off timing. It's behind receivers. It's turnovers. And then the development gets stunted from there. So I think whether it's, you know, Desmond Riddler, I think is viewed as a guy you want to give a year to develop, obviously, whether it's a Malik Willis that you think could be dynamic right out of the gates or a Kenny Pickett that while maybe the most NFL ready among this class is also a guy that has a maybe lower ceiling, but a healthier floor, right? So you have to look at all of these prospects through the prism of where can we get them in the short and the long term? If you're the New York football giant and you at five take an offensive tackle and a quarterback is there for seven, if you believe you can develop them, and by year two and three, it's going to be a much different looking quarterback or at least a much improved quarterback, I'm not going to scoff at it. And unlike in previous years here, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to tell you that I have belief in Joe Shane and belief in Brian Dable and belief in this organization and what they're going to accomplish that if they all of a sudden pull the trigger on a quarterback in this draft class, I believe that they see someone that they're going to be able to build the franchise around, right? But shy of that, you're looking back at these other teams, seeing how they assess and evaluate these quarterbacks. And as we know, the combine will play a big role in getting some of that interest and excitement going. But for all the cachet we're hearing around Malik Willis, at least by Bleacher Report standards, he's still listed far further down the list. And maybe it is a Lamar Jackson scenario where some team ends up getting an absolute dynamic steal later in the first round. However, to the point of evaluating these players and knowing what you have in them, now, when you look as they're negotiating with Lamar Jackson on his contract extension, the new deal that he wants, and he wants to be paid like a top quarterback, he wants to be making 40 plus million dollars a year, right? But you have to see what your limitations are with a quarterback like that. Has Lamar Jackson evolved with his accuracy to the point where you feel like it's just another stepping stone in the, in the progression of his career? Or do you think that he's plateaued and that the best attributes he has is that scramble is that dynamic, absolutely electric playmaking ability that also ends up getting a little bit limited and can be restricted and can be contained, especially when it comes to playoff football. I don't know. And I don't know if Malik Willis solely falls in, falls into the category or not, but all you want to hear if you're the giants is that these guys are more exciting and that more and more talent evaluators believe that they can be franchise quarterbacks, whether it's for the trade back or that the giants could like one of them. It's fine. 
that's my that's my that's my I guess a hot take on it. Pittsburgh Steelers coming up the board, making a move, giving a bunch of assets to the Giants for them to play with. We'll see how it all shakes out. That being the case, we will come back in again tomorrow, update the coaching search, and then again, start to dive into some additional players on the roster that we think could be on the move. What would the expectations be in the cap room that they could free up in those moves? And then maybe looking at some of these other low-level free agent moves, because now we've seen here with Davis Webb, with Williams, the addition of the punter, you know, Joe Shane and the Giants are starting to make those little baseline ones first, right? The ones we call, they're not sexy moves, but they all matter in the end. So we'll see how those things evolve, see how the Giants offseason evolves. Follow us on YouTube, get in on the comments, ask your questions, point out some guys that you're interested in the free agent market. We'll see if the price points can add up and the Giants can get there. Where do you think are good landing spots for Saquon Barkley? Obviously get the podcast where we get those needs fulfilled as well. And if Andrew Makowitz were here, he would want, need, nay, demand people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 